So today, uh, we are kicking off a brand new series called The Beginning of Wisdom. Um, I, I had this thought uh, about this series probably about a year ago. Uh, just realizing, and here's how series happen here at Southridge. I ask a very simple question, Lord, what's in the way? What's in the way of us becoming what you want us to become? And very clearly, the Lord began to drop in my heart that we, we're struggling with the fear of the Lord. We're struggling with as a culture and as a people. And so this whole series, we're going to try to find wisdom, and we're going to get to our key text in just a second. But how many of you would agree with me that we live in a day where everyone is claiming to have some kind of personal wisdom? Right? In my opinion, well, I think, you know, it, I, I feel like when I watch the news right now, it's not news, it's just opinion, right? It's just the, the latest person's opinion about what's going on. And it really just kind of cries, is there really a truth out there? Is there a wisdom out there? And so where, where does wisdom come from? How do we get it? And so in this series, we're going to be looking primarily in one of the books of wisdom called the book of Proverbs. And I want to give you a challenge right up front. So this is a month-long series. We're going to do four weeks. And the Proverbs have 31 chapters and so they're perfectly laid out for you to do a chapter a day of reading based on the day of the week or the day it is. So today is what, the 7th? So you would read Proverbs 7. You guys are so sharp. I mean, this is, it's amazing, the, the group of people that has gathered here at Southridge. And, and so I just want to challenge you to read the proverb every day for the whole month based on the day that it is. And especially because I think it's important to what we're talking about. The first nine chapters, so one through nine, are really setting up this whole idea of wisdom. Okay, And then you get into the wisdom thoughts as you get going. So just, just jump in there and see. So there's the challenge. Here's our key text. All right, Proverbs chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 10. And it says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This idea that fear of the Lord is the beginning. And so in this series, again, we're going to be exploring together how to become truly wise. Now, I'm going to make an assumption for all of us here today that we are all desiring or wanting to be wise, okay? The opposite of that, in case you didn't shake your head yes, would be you want to be dumb, all right, I'm just going to assume as we get started that that's important to you, that you desire to be wise and you desire these things. So <clears throat> I was thinking about it this way. Over the years, um, I've had many prayers that I just repeat constantly, not, not like as just a, a rote repair, but from the heart, it's a prayer, you know? And like, for example, Lord, if you can use me, use me. That, that's been a constant prayer of mine ever since I became a Christian. Lord, if you could flow through me, flow through me, Okay. That's the prayer. Another one was, Lord, open my ears and open my eyes to who you are and what you're doing. Just open my ears. Help, help me to hear the voice. It's constant prayer. But, but here's one that I would say has been probably as constant as any prayer I've ever prayed. And it was simply this, Lord, I'm crying out for understanding and insight. Give me wisdom because I truly lack it. I need wisdom. I need insight. I need understanding. Scripture says that you cry out for it as though it's life. Lord, I need this desperately. And so this whole series is us trying to get to that place where we truly have wisdom in our lives. So let me just talk about wisdom for just a couple minutes here before we jump into some text of Scripture. Um, first of all is this. Wisdom is more than just head knowledge. It's more than head knowledge. Um, 
I think for many people, what happens is this is where the problem begins. We, we, we've confused wisdom with academics. We've confused wisdom with book knowledge, right? We've confused wisdom with the amount of knowledge that I have about something. And it's not head knowledge. Wisdom is not head, head knowledge. Wisdom is more than Bible understanding. It's more than being older so you know more, that kind of stuff. One person said, I love this, he said, knowledge built the Titanic. Wisdom is what avoids the icebergs, Right? So it's more than knowledge. And so a lot of times, you know, we get lost in that. If I just knew more, if I just knew more, yeah, that's not exactly right. Because you can not maybe know a whole bunch and still have great wisdom in who you are as a person. Here's, here's the second thought. Is that wisdom is thinking, thinking, what we we're just talking about, and living according to God's truth, ways, and design. It's in the living. It's in the application, and it's, it's in the activity that true wisdom happens. You can know what's right to do, but never do it, and therefore you're not wise, you're actually something else. And so the, it's in the application, it's in the living out according to these truths, these ways, these signs. Wisdom means I approach life from God's point of view. So if you read through the scriptures, and especially Proverbs, and that's where we're going to be spending most of our time again, you'll notice that there's different kinds of people in the scriptures, Right? There's different kinds, you know, the, the faithful, you know, the, the unfaithful, the believer, the rebe- rebel. I mean, all these different ideas. Well, in Proverbs, there's four kinds of people that kind of keep getting talked about over and over and over. And I want to highlight those for just a couple minutes here. And I'm laying the foundation for this whole series today. But in Proverbs chapter 1, it, it jumps right into it. It jumps right into it. And so check it out. Proverbs 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, How long... You simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? And how long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. There's four kinds of people mentioned in this scripture. Let me go over real quickly, and I want to show you maybe what is the remedy or the result of each one if that's who I am, okay? Here's the first one, is the simple. The simple. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7 says, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. And basically the word simple is this idea of immaturity or easily tricked. And to be honest with you, all of us at some time have a little simple in us, Right? I mean, we, it's part of who we are. We all have those simple, I didn't have any sense kind of moments. And what it is, is we lack wisdom because we didn't know or no one told us. And a lot of times it's affecting young people because they just didn't know, right? They're, they're simple. And, and so that's part of this. They had no sense. <laughs> I thought about it. I've got, I've got probably a thousand illustrations that I could use for myself on this one, right? And I'll just give you one and you'll go, wow, you were simple, or stupid, depending on which, which word you want to put in there. <clears throat> and so when I was young, right, I didn't have anybody give me common sense on some things. And so like one Easter, not Easter, one Halloween, I decided that our little town that we lived in would be more fun Halloween night if it was darker than what it is normally. <laughs> what a grand idea, <laughs> Right? So I convinced a couple other simple-minded people 
to drive me around in my pickup as I laid in the back of the truck and drove under streetlights and shot it with a pellet gun. <laughs> you go simple, right? So I go back home after, and I, and I know the numbers on this, 54 lights in the little town that we lived in. 50 of them were out. 50. I know how much a light cost in our little town. Because as I came home, I noticed as I pulled, got to my home, the police were at the front door of our house, and I went to the back door, and I'm knocking on the door going, Dad, Dad, let me in, because he locked the door after I snuck out to go do this. And he came around, and he, and he walked down, because I heard him talking to the police. He said, no, he's downstairs sleeping. Well, I wasn't, because I was young and simple and stupid. And so he comes around the corner, to go downstairs where I, I would have been if I was smarter. But, and he looks at me out the window and he goes, Troy? <laughs> dad, let me in. Like, I think my dad's going to cover for me, you know, to sneak me in and do this. He didn't do that. He opens the door and he says, hey, there's somebody at the front door who wants to talk to you. <laughs> so I go to the front door. I had the conversation and I was a terrible liar and I, I still am. I just, I, lying's not just part of my nature. And so I go to the front door and, and they say, hey, did you shoot out of the, all the streetlights in our town? Yep. <laughs> and so for the next three years, I paid $237 per light for all those 50 lights. It took me forever to pay it off. I worked two summers, so it was crazy. But anyway, that's the idea of simple. Somebody probably should have told me that's not a great idea, right? <clears throat> so simple. Um, you know, the remedy. So here's the remedy. It's kind of an interesting remedy is to take a dip, right? Let me, D-I-P. D stands for distance. I stands for instruction. And P stands for practice. You'll, you'll notice something. There, the distance for the simple is important. It's distance from something. Notice what it says. Leave your simple ways behind. Get some distance between you and your simple thinking. Get some space be between that and you. And then, then this idea of, of <clears throat> instruction. I, I have to be willing to allow instruction to land upon my life if I'm going to come out of a simple type of perspective. And the last one is practice. It, it, it might actually take some time. Notice it says learn to use. Begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. In other words, you're going to have to probably do this for a little while before you get a little wiser. And so if the simple part of who you are is that, then maybe that's what needs to happen. Here's, here's the next one. The next person, this kind of people, is the fool. The fool. And this person is someone who isn't like the simple who just doesn't know. This one is someone who disregards God's word. They know and they just choose not to do it. They, they know what to do and still decide to do what's wrong anyway. And then you ask the question, why do they do that? Why do they do that? And it's a very simple answer. It's fun. It's pleasurable. Notice some of the scriptures here. Proverbs 10, 23 says, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. It's driven by this pleasure, fun thing. I'm, foolishness is many, many times based on that. Proverbs 1, 32 says, fools are destroyed by their own complacency. There's this carelessness. It doesn't matter. They're spiritually lazy. Proverbs 12, 15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And I thought about it. How's this look in real life? Things like this. A fool will say something. It won't affect me. 
It won't affect me. It won't have any impact on me. I can do this and it's not going to matter. That's the fool. The fool, fool says, I'm the exception to the rule. I'm in total control. And here's a great one. I can quit anytime I want. That's the fool. That's the fool. And the fool often jumps into whatever the situation is and then checks the depth of the water after they jump. I actually had a, a friend literally do that when I was younger. We were diving into the Platte River off of a bridge. <laughs> Simple, foolish, yes. I got all kinds of stories. So he, and he comes running up. His, here's his name. So you knew this probably would have, so his name was Donk. So Donk comes running. He doesn't even know what's below him. He just comes running and he runs and he dives right over the bridge without even looking or anything. He missed the channel, landed in water this deep. We thought he broke his neck because he was laying down there going, oh! He hurt his shoulder and all. I mean, but they jump, fools do, without even knowing what's going on. You know, the fool tries to make their foolishness look cool. And the fool has a theme song. And I'll sing it for you. Born to be wild, born to be wild, and then they run into a telephone pole, right? That's the fool. So, so what's the remedy? And this is an interesting one for, for the remedy for the fool, which is tragedy and a willingness to be corrected. It's interesting that many times fools never change their ways until the crisis of life gets so heavy it forces them to. That they have to finally get to that place of hard knocks. You know, some of us, we don't learn real quick. <laughs> Let me try this again. Some of us, we don't learn real quick. There you are. I knew you were out there. And you're, you've got bruises and bumps and all kinds of stuff because you just didn't learn the foolish ways really quickly. And so the tragedy part of it has been a part of you. Maybe today you're in the middle of a time of correction. Maybe what you're in right now, God's trying to correct you. And the question is, will you move out of the fool category into the wise category because you finally listen to instruction and correction? You finally say, you can correct me, Lord. I was wrong. That's, that's, that's the way it is. Here's, here's the third one, and that is the mocker. The mocker. And basically what this is, this is the fool on steroids. That's what this is. It's the fool on steroids. I know what's right, but I have decided not to do it, and here's the steroid part, and I'm going to ridicule or make fun of all those who do. I'm going to ridicule you for trying to serve God. I'm going to make fun of your decision to remain pure. I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of your decision to, to give. I'm going to, and it's the mocker. It's the mocker. And, and, and here's the scary thing, is that many times the mocker not only will mock those that want to do God's will, they will actually mock God himself. And at that point, I have one simple instruction for you. Duck. Because lightning bolts are about to come. There's something about mocking that isn't like any of these other things. There's one thing to be simple, and it's one thing to be a fool, but a mocker is totally different. It's almost kind of scary. Here's what it says in Proverbs 9, verse 7 and 8. It said, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. won't go well. well. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. Notice this next phrase. So don't bother correcting mockers. Like, what? 
Don't, don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. And so here's where we get to the remedy. The remedy for mockers is God's judgment. God's judgment. Which is kind of scary to think about because you realize that, wow, it's one thing to be simple. It's another thing to be a fool. It's another thing to be a mocker because now I'm in a whole other category. I'm in a whole other category. That I, I'm, I'm not just being foolish or simple. I'm actually making fun of who God is and what he's trying to do in people. I'm like, whoa, watch out. So check it out. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, The Lord mocks the mocker, but, but is gracious to the humble. The Lord mocks. He ridicules. He makes them to look foolish. He takes the, the, the wise things, if you will, of the earth and, and uses the foolish things of heaven to confound those that think they're wise, right? So he, he mocks them. Here, some of the most dramatic moments in Scripture are found where God is responding to those who mock him, those who openly rejected his wisdom and his supremacy. That, that, that's one. If you read through Scripture and go, "Wow, what in the world was going on?" I could almost guarantee that somehow, some way, there was a group of mockers, and God's judgment was right there. God's hand of authority, God's hand was right in the middle of their story. Check out Galatians chapter six, verse seven. It says, "Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant." Let me say it in another way. God's not fooled, and he's not passive either. God's not fooled, and he's not passive. And some mistake passiveness for condoning. <laughs> some mistake that God's patience is actually his thumbs up, when in actuality what it is is it's mercy. It's mercy that God isn't doing what he wants. He might be incredibly patient with those that are mocking right now. I don't know. But there's a dynamic that is there in Scripture that I think is very important for us to consider. Um, so here's the fourth one. So we've got the simple, we've got the fool, we've got the mocker, and they got the wise. That's who we want to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's who we want to be, right? We want to be the wise. We want to be the wise person. This is the kind of person we all want to be. Hopefully, that's a desire within us. Proverbs 9, 9 says, Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. Just a real couple quick thoughts about the wise. The wise listen. They listen. I mean, that's what wise people do. They listen. They, they, they listen and they try to apply. They listen and they try to apply. They listen to what the Holy Spirit is. They listen to instruction. They listen to correction. They listen. That's the, and, it, and they're benefited before, because of it. They are, the wise are teachable. I might be going the wrong way, but because of my wisdom or my desire for wisdom, I'm willing for you to instruct me and teach me what life is about. The wise are not defensive. In other words, they're not standing. You can't there and telling God or whoever. You can't tell me. The wise are not self-reliant. So here's the result. The result for the wise is that they gain honor and more wisdom. They gain honor and more wisdom. Now, how many of you would like your life to be full of honor? Everybody should raise their hand. 
We, we want to be honored, right? We want to be honored in our homes. We want to be honored in our workplaces, in the church, in life, in general. We want that. It says that wisdom, the result of wisdom, first and foremost, is this idea of honor. And not only that, I begin to stockpile even more and more wisdom, which then at the same time feeds more and more honor. So this process is going, notice Proverbs 3.35, it says, the wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. And so I went through and I did like a little Bible study search, if you will, you know, and, and a short list of what happens for the wise. And here's the short list, all right? You, you can do your search on your own, but the wise bring joy to their parents. And all the parents said, yeah, <laughs> the wise, it talks about wise children bringing joy to their parents, all right? The wise bring joy to their parents. The wise, they save lives. Your wisdom actually will save lives from eternity and separation from God. There's a saving aspect to wisdom. There is the wise bring healing the wise become a fountain of life. The wise find favor with leaders and kings. The wise have stores of abundance or extra. The wise are, check this one out, they're rich. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. There's a richness about the wisdom that God wants us to have. Here, here's some cool things. The wise defeat strongholds. The wise prevail over the enemy. The wise, they turn away anger. I don't know about you, but I need some of that, right? That's what I need. That's what I want. I want wisdom in my life. And so this incredible idea, which kind of person am I going to be? Am I going to be the simple, the fool, the mocker, or the wise? And I think that's very important. So just kind of laying a foundation. So next question or thought, what stands in the way of wisdom? What stands in the way? If, if these things are there, we kind of got some ideas about what's going on, but I think there's two big things that stand in the way of wisdom, all right? Here's, here's the first one, and this is huge, my own personal opinion. Next time you say this phrase, I want you to pause and consider what you actually said, all right? I think, in my opinion, Right? Because I think sometimes what we've done is we've elevated something that maybe God never intended for us to elevate, and that is our own thoughts, our own ways, our own ideas, our own opinions, our own everything, and it's actually crowding out, if you will, true wisdom. Because I've allowed my opinions of God and life and all these different things to really become the starting point for wisdom when really the beginning of wisdom is found in God, not me. And so I have a problem here. That we love our own opinions, but the wisdom that we desperately need is not found in my opinion, it's actually found in his. So check out this scripture, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, it says, do you see a man or woman wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In other words, when I get to the point where my opinion is bigger than anything else in life, I'm actually putting myself right back in that kind of person and maybe even a little bit worse than a fool as it says right here because I've allowed my opinion to become so big and God's opinion to become so small. Next verse here, it says Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. You know, don't, don't rave over your own reviews, right? Don't, don't clap at your own... <laughs> 
accomplishments. Well, look at how smart I am. Look at how good I am. Look, oh, you are awesome <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> right? Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, check out what it says. Fear the Lord. Instead, fear the Lord and turn from evil, which leads to the other issue that stands in the way of our wisdom. And that is the one I want to spend a little bit more time on today. And that is the lack of healthy fear. The lack of it. The lack of healthy fear. Can I just be really honest with you today? I believe that we struggle to have a good, healthy dose of the fear of the Lord here in America. I, I, I think it's... It, we don't get it. We just don't get it. We think we get it, but we don't. Because if we got it, then we would act differently. We would live differently. We would walk differently. There's something, there's a breakdown here that's happening with this fear of the Lord idea. And there's actually in scripture, there's two kinds of fear in scripture. One is unhealthy fear, which a lot of times we're really good at that one too. You know, fear of people, Fear of failure, fear of whatever, tomorrow, fear, 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 you know, and, it, and, and it's based in shame and performance. And the scripture says that God has not given us that kind of spirit of fear. He hasn't given this, that, but there's another fear that God wants us to have. So instead of being paralyzed or hiding or run away in fear, like I'm afraid, God wants us to experience this healthy fear. Check out what it says, Proverbs 19, verse 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life bringing security and protection from harm. And again, the fear of the Lord is not simply being afraid of God. Hear this next statement really clearly. It has to do with viewing God accurately and living life accordingly. It has to do with, li- with viewing God accurately and living life accordingly. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. I mean, if you boil it down, what's, what's this statement? What's this thing that we desperately need? It's, it's this view thing, a perspective thing. Lord, I need to be able to see you for who you are and live my life in response to it. I need to have that understanding. Here's another way of saying it. Our view of God will determine our relationship with God. If, if you think that God is kind of lofty and out there and not interested, you're going to look, live life like he doesn't really care and he doesn't see anything I'm doing anyway. Your view of God is going to define or determine your relationship with God. It has this huge impact. Let me say it another way. If our fear of the Lord is healthy, we will be wise. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore what it means to truly be wise and maintain that healthy fear of the Lord. That if we have the right fear, we'll have the right wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's, here's how I want to conclude today. Kind of, I'm trying to get to a point where I'm not always racing at the end. Can you, can you guys help me? Thanks. Uh, two people. All right. So, so as I conclude, I, I want to spend a few minutes laying the foundation of the fear of the Lord. All right, this idea, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Again, it's not an afraid thing. If you're thinking, why I'm afraid. I mean, there is that if you realize that maybe you're a mocker. There's, there, there is a, a, that kind of afraid thing. But we're talking about this phrase. It is a reverent acknowledgement of the person and the character of who God is. That, that's what this is. It's, it's a reverent acknowledgement of the person and the character of who God is. 
And check this out. If I struggle to accept fully this reverent acknowledgement or these truths about God, I will struggle to fear. And if I struggle to fear, I will struggle to be wise. It's that connected. In other words, I can't have wisdom without this fear. I can't, I can't get there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It has to be somehow connected to who I am as a person if I'm truly saying I want to be wise. It has to be part of the story. So I want to make three declarations, three wisdom declarations, three fear of the Lord declarations and laying this foundation for what a healthy fear of the Lord is. And here's the first one, all right? God, you are altogether holy. And maybe each one of you here today need to start every day just making these three declarations. Number one, God, you are altogether holy. No questions, no doubt, no wonder, you're holy. And and when I first began to learn about this character or this idea about who God is and the person of God, I was humbled to the very core of who I was because I realized in a moment, this goes way back in my really early days as a follower in Christ and going to Bible college, and somebody told me that God is completely other. He's not like you. He never will be. (laughs) And you can't make him like that. He's completely other. He's wholly separate from you. He's not like you. He never will be like you. He's the creator. He's over all these things. He's altogether holy, which should rock the foundation because what that means then is he's not your buddy. (laughs) He's not your pal. Me and Jesus going to a, you know, he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. Check out Psalm 99, verse 5. It says, Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. He is altogether other. He is altogether separate. He is altogether uniquely one and different. He's not like me. Bow down before him. (laughs) Bow down before him. Don't try to bring him to your level. Understand who he is and who you are. I was thinking about the example of Moses in Exodus 3. You know the story. Moses given up by his mom because they were killing all the babies. And and he ends up in Pharaoh's house getting raised for the first part of his life, which began to make him think that maybe I'm kind of, I got this. I got a lot of knowledge. I got a lot of insight. I got a lot of power. Comes a day where he actually tries to use that insight, power, and authority, and he actually kills a man thinking he's helping He gets banished from the land. For 40 years, he's banished. And it's interesting because at the end of the banishment and the backside of the desert, he comes to a moment where he meets God at a burning bush. And he walks up. He's like, man, what is this? This this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. There's something happened. And the presence of a holy God was in the bush moment there. And as he got close to it, God said, hey, 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 take your sandals off or the ground you stand on right now is holy. Just the very fact that I'm in the midst of where you're at is a holy moment. So you need to take your shoes off. And so instead of him trying to control it all in his own power back in the day 40 years ago, now he finally realized God is altogether holy. I'm taking my shoes off and I'm bowing down. It's the fear of the Lord. He had to learn the fear of the Lord. Another example, I love this one. Isaiah 6. 
verses 1 through, I think, 8 or 9. Isaiah comes and has this moment where he sees God's glory. It says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in all of his glory. God gave him a vision, a revelation. All of a sudden, he saw his holiness. He saw that he was altogether holy, that God was big, bad, and impressive. It was like, wow. And here's what he said. So I said, his declaration, woe is me, for I am undone. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. So the first declaration is you are altogether holy. Second declaration is that God, you are completely in charge. That's hard for us. It'd be a good place for an amen. It's hard for us. Because as Americans, we are in charge. Right? We're in charge. I got this. I got my 401k, I got my job, I got my career plan, I got my, I got, I got this. I'm in charge. I went to school, I got the degree, I did this, I made this happen, I made this happen, I made, I'm in charge. Really? Really? Are you really in charge? In the frailty of who you are as a human being, are you really in charge? Are you really calling the shots? Are, are you really making it happen? Because this statement is saying, Lord, I don't think I'm the one that's really making it happen. You are. God, you are completely in charge. That God reigns in absolute authority. God reigns in supremacy. God is awesome. God is always right. God can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants to do it. And it's not up to me. It's not up to me. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Lord, you're completely in charge. Here's Psalm 115 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he, say it with me, does whatever he wants. <laughs> it's His plan is not contingent upon me. <laughs> it isn't. He can use me. He can flow through me. He can do all these different things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he is in charge. He is not subject to me. He is the potter. I am the clay. Just ask somebody like Jonah if that's true. Just ask Joseph in the Old Testament if that's true. Just ask Paul or Saul before he had the Damascus Road thing. Just ask him if it's true. Just ask Zechariah when the birth of John the Baptist was announced and he couldn't speak for nine months if it was true. Just ask these guys, is it true God's in charge? Yes. And the fear of the Lord says, Lord, you are completely in charge. Not me. And the moment I start thinking I am is the moment I'm kicking your, you to the curb and I think I got this. Here's the last one. The God, you are the ultimate judge. That kind of freaks me out a little bit, doesn't it? Does it freak you out a little bit? It should. I mean, right now you should have that moment like, whoa, whoa, what's that mean? It means he knows every word that I speak. He knows every thought that I think. He, he sees every action and every behavior that I've ever been a part of. And I have to at some point stand before God and he's going to judge that fairly, righteously, 
There's grace, though, because he said, I know you're not going to be all that, so I sent an answer in Jesus. I, I gave you an answer, a person that can make that happen. And by the way, let me just share real quickly. There's two judgments in scriptures. There's a great, 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 great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. One of them is about this believer judgment, meaning are you a believer or not? And the other one is what did you do as a believer judgment? Okay? And so... One side or the other, you're going to be there. <laughs> Either way, it's still the same. I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to stand there. And because of that, that fear, I should say, Lord, I want to do my best to live a life that honors you today. Check out what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the believer's one. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Check this out. Therefore... Knowing, say the phrase with me, the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What does this mean? It means in light of the reality, we will all stand before God and give an account of our lives. We personally prepare and we do everything we can to prepare others and persuade others to be ready for that day as well. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what it means that I finally understand, Lord, you're going to judge me, and so I'm doing everything I can to be prepared. You're going to judge others, so I'm going to tell everybody I can to be prepared. I want to be a part of that because the fear of the Lord understands you are the ultimate judge, and someday every one of us is going to stand before heaven and give an account for every word, every thought, every deed, every action, everything that we've ever done. We're going to have to stand there and say, Lord, this is what I did with it. And all of it's based on the knowing, the fear of the Lord. So I want to close with two thoughts. First thought is this. is that Jesus is our ultimate wisdom. Jesus. It's not in you. It's in him. It's not in you. It's in him. In other words, I can't get there unless I go through the person and the work of the cross. I can't get there. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, for our benefit, God made him, Jesus, to be, what does it say? Wisdom itself. It goes on to say, that's, that's how we get there. That's the pathway. That's the process. And maybe today you're struggling with the simple, the fool, the mocker, all these different things, and wisdom seems 100 miles away. And the answer is Jesus. Jesus. Lord, what you did on the cross for me is what I need. Here's, here's the second thought, and this comes from our Saturday morning prayer. Man, I got two minutes. Come on, come on, come on. Ephesians 5, verse 10. I, I prayed through this. We had a verse of text of scripture yesterday we were praying through and thinking through, and I never even got past the first sentence. And it simply says this. It says, Ephesians 5, verse 10, it says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord? Carefully determine. I thought about that. I said, Lord, carefully. Well, you know what that means? Lord, give us a spiritual attentiveness and awareness to what you're doing. Give us a priority and a value in life to understand that what matters most is what you think. Carefully. That we would carefully consider Lord, what really matters in life? What, what really is? And then it goes on, determined, carefully determined. 
And I, I thought about it this way. Some of us here today, you need to finally settle who's the boss. You need to finally settle who is the boss, you or him. Carefully determine. Make sure you get this one right. I mean, if you're going to make a decision, this one matters. Make a great decision on who's actually in charge. Decide, settle it, come to the point that I fear the Lord. And it says, what? What? Whatever it costs. Whatever it means. Whatever it takes. Whatever. Whatever God wants to do. Whatever his plan is. Whatever his purpose is. That's what I want pleases. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. May I do, may you do what makes heaven smile. May we do in our lives what God goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I I smile over your life because you fear me. You understand who I am and who you are. Well done. It pleases me. The last phrase is the Lord. The Lord that it wouldn't be done for me. (laughs) It's all for him. I'm not fearing the Lord for me. I'm fearing the Lord for him. Lord, I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. I want to worship you. I want to exalt you. I want to lift you up. I want to make you known. Lord, it's all about you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that we would respond to these two thoughts. And maybe today there are those here in the room that have never accepted the wisdom that comes through Jesus Christ, have never come to the point that they finally bow down and quit being the simple, the fool, or even the mocker and simply say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, instruct me. Jesus, wash me. Jesus, make me new. For Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom, Lord. If that's you today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior or your Lord, and you want to right now just simply say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. That's you. Would you just lift your hand right now? Just lift your hand. Say, that's me. That's me. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's me. Yeah. Secondly, Lord, I pray that we would live out that scripture, that we would carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That you would make it spiritually come alive in each one of us. That, Lord, I pray that today's message wouldn't just be another message, but it would be a message that would spur us and stir us to the fear of the Lord that changes who we are. That we would make these declarations not just once, but we would make them every day. That you are holy. That God, you are in charge. And that you will ultimately judge us. That Lord, everything within us would acknowledge you reverently. In Jesus' name, amen.